0: We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
1: Oh, my goodness. I wish, I wished you were ever all looking at the webcam there because Howard Parkin was doing his very best John F. Kennedy impersonation there, <laughs> along with those words. Howard Fastamai, good evening Faster-Mai, and a the very warm Judith. welcome. Well, I really felt like playing the theme on Fast Speed because we've just got so much to talk Not about. I can't, can't wait kidding. to get into the programme. So much going on at the moment. Well, I'm not. we're not even going to do the pleasantries like did you have a nice Christmas or anything like that. Yes, thanks and you good. Yeah, right, on we go. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, Howard, that um, even as an outsider like myself, it seems as though December has been such a busy month for space mm. activity, quite apart Very from everything much. else. The
2: beginning of December is unbelievable. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I usually do a weekly thing with my class And I did the last one at the end of November. And then all these news stories, four major news stories, broke at the beginning of December, which we'll talk about in a moment. And I thought, where did all these come from? So January is going to be a great month. Well, let's start looking at the sky, because that's been fascinating, hasn't it? Oh, it it? has. I mean, the conjunction, and thank you to everybody who's been in touch with me over the last few weeks, because this planetary conjunction we had between Jupiter and Saturn really was most spectacular. Sadly, the weather wasn't particularly good for us, but Christmas Eve, it was spectacular. And I was actually, I went to the service at church, to the crib service at church, and I was even pointing it out to the vicar Uh, because we could see Jupiter and Saturn nestling together, very close to each other. You couldn't split them up with the naked eye. This was on the Thursday, of course, uh, after the close conjunction on the Monday. A pair of binoculars you could split them, but with the naked eye, it was just one nice, beautiful, bright object in the sky, which, of course, all the media were telling us it was the star of Bethlehem. Well, that's another story for next year because I've done that story to death I think this Christmas now but it was one of the contributory factors to the Star of Bethlehem but it really was spectacular and to watch them slowly getting closer and closer sadly, as I say, the weather wasn't brilliant. I saw them a week last Sunday close together or getting closer and then I say last Thursday. But um, what I can tell listeners is don't give up just because it was told it would be closest on the Monday. That is quite true. But Jupiter is now slowly pulling away from Saturn and is still quite easy to spot. Jupiter is by far the brightest one with Saturn below right of it. You need to be looking between about half past four and half past five in the evening, low in the west, just before the eastern, the western horizon, and you'll see a bright object. Get a pair of binoculars on it, and you'll see below right of it um, the planet Saturn. And on the 14th of January, we're going to be joined in this part of the sky by our beautiful crescent moon and the much fainter planet Mercury. So we'll start the new year as we finish the last one with lots of spectacular events in the night sky. And that's not to mention what, even what's happening
1: on the 9th, because the... You, there's a, something else to be visible then isn't there when
2: you've got that's m- right well mercury Mer- and the moon come back into the sky we've got a full moon of course um i think two days time 29th is the full moon so when the moon comes round to new and then starts rising in the sky it's going to go past jupiter and saturn to start with then mercury's going to come up and join them from about the ninth to the 14th it's really going to be well well worth looking out for mercury is very difficult to spot it's so faint in a light sky but with Jupiter pointing to it, and on the I mentioned the 14th because on the 14th Saturn and Jupiter in a line point up to Mercury, and then you've got the Moon just below left of that. So wonderful opportunity for some photographs. Let's just fingers crossed for some decent clear skies. Well, yes, but at least the,
1: we we know what there is. There is, there is so much to see. Nobody nobody can can regulate
2: the conditions that we get. This is why I was a bit cross actually, because everyone was saying you must see this conjunction on the Monday. Yes, that was when it was at its closest and well worth looking for. But for at least a week, each side of it is going to be spectacular. In fact, I've been seeing this. We've been talking about this for months, um, since about last August, when you could see noticeably these two getting closer and closer together. And now they're drawing apart from one another. And that will be visible right through till around, around mid-January. But then Jupiter and Saturn go, for, go both go round the back of the Sun and will reappear in the morning sky. And they'll do the same thing all over again um, next year, but not as close as we've had this year.
1: Now, Mars has been quite prominent in the sky Mm. for
2: a while, hasn't it? And still is. It's still the brightest object in the sky after the bright star Sirius. And I'm sure you know how to find Sirius with Orion's belt, Judith. I'm sure I've told you enough times. Well, the brightest star in the sky, Sirius, not easy to spot. The lowest um, bright star in the sky in the east and the southeast. Mars is roughly in the south at the same time of night when um orion comes up and sirius comes up but mars is fading rapidly and by the time we get to the middle of january end of january it will be much much fainter and it will also be disappearing in the west but don't despair because mars will come back round again and if you think the conjunction we had of jupiter and saturn was spectacular at 0.6 of a degree apart Venus and Mars at 3 o'clock in the morning in July will be 0.4 of a degree apart, another spectacular conjunction. Unfortunately, this one's going to be in the middle of summer, so you're going to have to get up early in the morning to watch that one, but it will be worth it, and those two. We might even play Venus and Mars by wings for that one when we get to June. Now, that's what I call forward-planning, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> really is That really is good. But, but no, I mean, the thing, I listen to you, and... and there is so much variety. Nothing is the same. No, that's it, what surprises you, people. You can just have a slight variation of mm. angle and timing or whatever and get a completely different effect. This there's no it. there's no predictability. There's no sense of saying, no, oh, it's January.
2: I, it will be this and this. I mean, I'll have to say no to that one because you can predict exactly with precision where the planets will be and when they will be and everything else. We can't predict meteors as well but um, this is the the whole thing of the scientific revolution was the ability to predict the positions of the planets was the thing that got Copernicus and Kepler and all these ancient astronomers going about it because up until then they believed that the motions of the planet was random and they couldn't explain it and it took Copernicus and Galileo and Newton and all those people to explain it to the degree of precision that I can now tell you exactly what's going to happen on the 14th of July. Sure,
1: yes, I I put that badly because you've said this a, a number of times and I completely understand what, you're saying about being able to predict it exactly but weather conditions sky conditions can alter how we see it and what we see and
2: create effects i mean christmas eve night and in fact the last few nights this morning the sky was spectacular it was very cold it was frosty it was icy but on crisp clear nights and mornings the sky is unbelievable and the winter sky especially so because we have all these bright objects to look at and Mm it's um it's even now, as I go up to bed sometimes, I just look up at the sky, I take a quick look and say, wow, how spectacular the sky is tonight. Mm. And um, it's, that's what fascinates me about the whole thing. And as I've said so many times to so many people, you don't have to know what you're looking at. It's nice to know what some of the things are, but just enjoy it. Mm. It's a spectacle of nature mm. that you can enjoy from a fantastic location in the middle of the Irish Sea, marvellous skies, enjoy it. And mm. uh, if you want to know a little bit more, well, you can ring me up or you can listen to the programme. Or come along to a talk or a meeting or whatever. Perfectly true, and we do
1: get here the most astonishing sunrises and oh, sunsets. At the moment, yeah. Christmas morning.
2: Oh, it was gorgeous! The sunrise,
1: wasn't it? absolutely beautiful. I, I don't think I've ever seen the sky so pink. It was beautiful for so wasn't long.
2: It? It, it really. And, and did you spot it. Venus in the midst of all that beautiful sky? Oh, now, Judy, if you're letting me down, dear oh, me. This is a spectacular
1: fail, dear listener. This is a spectacular fail. This
2: morning Venus was, was made major, major observation as well. Venus is beautiful. And, you know, again, you see, talking about predicting things, um, this time next year, we're all going to be raving about Venus being so bright in the evening sky because Venus goes around the back of the sun in March and will reappear in the evening sky. And it's going to be, I mean, we we speak about magnitude, how we measure the brightness of stars. Venus is going to be minus 4.7 magnitude on December the 9th next year absolutely like a beacon shining in the sky over Peel. And everyone's going to say, that's the start of Bethlehem. No, it isn't. Venus was not the start of Bethlehem. We know that almost definitely. It doesn't fit with the observational uh, characteristics at all. But hey, enjoy it. Yeah, but listen to what you're saying, Howard. You're
1: you're looking, you're saying, no, it doesn't fit with the observational characteristics and you're going back 2,000 years. Yeah,
2: exactly. That's
1: extraordinary. That's the degree when of precision you we can it, go back. Isn't it?
2: There's a famous story about this conjunction of Venus and Mars in July this year and those two are really, is a spectacular conjunction because they'll both be so bright. There was a conjunction of those two in 2 BC, but... Jesus was born in, we think, 5 BC, because Herod was dead in 3 BC. So that's why I dismissed the Venus-Mars conjunction as a candidate for the Star of Bethlehem.
1: But it's putting together what you know about the sky and and historical facts. Absolutely. So yeah. there is there is no room for speculation no, there. No, this is it. Which, which really is very exciting. Now,
2: any meteor showers? Yes, often overlooked. I'm glad you mentioned that because often overlooked. The quadranted meteor shower peaks on January the 4th. It's probably the third best metre shower of the year, after the Persids and the Gemini's, which we always rave about. Because it's straight after Christmas, and usually by the time you get round to giving a talk or a lecture, the peak has gone. Well, the 4th of January, which is of course next weekend, um, we've got the peak of the Quadrantids. Now, the Quadrantids will be faded a bit by the full moon, which is on the 29th of December. But it's in the north. The radiant point of this shower is just below the plough. And everyone knows what the plough is. It's that thing that's standing on its tail at the moment. Uh, It was on the horizon in autumn. It's now standing on its tail. Just look towards the northern horizon, northeastern area of the horizon, and then you'll see the plough. And then you'll see possibly or hopefully some of the quadranted meteors, which are unique in the fact that they're one of the only meteor showers left um, named after a constellation that no longer exists. The constellation of Quadrons Morales was discounted as a constellation back in 1930 by the International Astronomical Union, but the shower comes from that part of the sky where Ursa Major is now and can is vanacity to Hunting Dogs, but it's still called the Quadrantids. But it used as trivia for you. No, it's building up a picture. <laughs> now, whilst we're
1: talking about all these natural occurrences, There are a group of people beetling around in the sky, working away. I love that
2: expression, beetling around (laughs) in the sky. (laughs) I'm
1: sure they'll love that description. (laughs) Well, the International Space Station is just
2: trundling around. There's people coming and going. Beetling and trundling. And Mm. Yeah, well... (laughs) I'm sorry, Judith. I'll have to take over the show. I think Judith just <laughs> collapsed in a heap. Right. Take over. Take over. Well, You know what I mean. I do indeed. Yes. Where is it and what's At going on? At the moment, it's still in orbit. They've still got seven people on board. Uh, one of them, well, two of them, I think it is, have now been named as part of the Artemis Lunar Crew and the potential astronauts to go to the moon. That's a story in its own right. We haven't got time to talk about it in detail. But it's currently not visible in the uh, evening skies in the Isle of Man, but it will be from about the 15th of January. And this is the time of the year to really look for it because it'll be just around tea time, 6, 7 o'clock at night. and um, It's only visible for a couple of hours after sunset, so that's why I mentioned the time. Uh, whereas in June, July time, it's 11 o'clock at night. and um, So look out for it from about the 15th of January. Heaven's Above website, just find it on there or indeed any. Just put ISS into Google and they'll tell you exactly where to find it and when. And you can set your clock by it. Mm-hmm. And many of the time I've, I've told people when to look for it when I've not been looking at the sky. We've done it live on air. And there's a space station appeared as if by clockwork, by, by uh, magic.
1: Well, I know I haven't got the correct terminology. I, I hold my hands up to that. But I just think it's fascinating that as life on Earth is going on, that they're working away yeah. up, up there. And yeah, and, just, and it's, it's kind of an established fact now. I mean, you were saying yeah, that on our years? last programme, 20 mm, years. 20
2: years since it was occupied for the first time in November 2000. Um, I've got my name with astronauts now, but now there's a permanent um, yeah. thing. Incidentally, another news story from today is that America, despite the fact that they're launching the Dragon spacecraft up to the ISS, they've just announced that they're likely to buy another seat on a Soyuz for an American astronaut to go up from Russia. It's all part of the idea of keeping it manned and keeping the crews going. But although they said they were going to stop using the the Soyuz to send U.S. astronauts up to it, um, they're going to do another one this spring. So, hey. Well, wish would send me. <laughs> well, yes, only if, only if you'll be able
1: to broadcast from there. That's the only wow. terms on which Sky you can at go. at night
2: from the ISS. Mm. It's a thought. Let me isn't work it? On that one. Listen, <laughs> I tell you, Howard. In a few short years, it probably will well, be possible. Joking apart, I mean Virgin are on the verge of literally launching their spacecraft into orbit. Well, it's not gonna go orbit; it's just a suborbital hop, and that's only a quarter of a million dollars to do that. And there's all sorts of talk about um, Bezos's Blue or- Origins, and um, there's all sorts of space commercial space ventures uh, trying to get people into space. I think probably I'm a bit too old for it now, but I think youngsters coming up, school children, um, probably not listening to this program, but their parents could be. I wouldn't mind betting in fifty years' time, going into space will be equivalent to having a first-class trip on the, across the Atlantic in a jet. It's an extraordinary thought, but I think that you're absolutely mm. right. I think it's high time
1: that we moved on to talking about what's going on in space because it has, as we said, been such a busy month. Let's take a little break for music. OK. Now,
2: go on. You've, s- you've chosen the music. and a special and- song today for a special reason. Nothing to do with space. This is me, if you like. Um, to the Ironman government, I think you've done such a wonderful job with the COVID situation. I thought some time ago that really we all live in Hotel California. We can all check in, but we can't check out.
1: Hotel California, the fantastic sound of the Eagles, Howard's music choice. Howard Parkin joins us for that look at the Manx sky at night for the month of December. And actually, it's going to be out
2: of space that we're looking at now, isn't it, Howard? It is indeed, because again, there's been so much going on in space as well. And I have to start with a tragic story, really, uh, that happened just after our last broadcast at the end of November. Uh, we were talking about the Arecibo Radio Telescope in Puerto Rico which had some cables fail on it well sadly on the 1st of december the whole thing collapsed the cables broke and there's some fantastic videos if you look online of the uh, the receiver for the dish uh, which is in the in the mountainside um, literally, the receiver—about ninety tons of receiver—just fell onto the dish, completely collapsed the dish. But more importantly, all the invaluable equipment in the receivers, um, obviously trashed and ruined completely. Uh, and then there's a close-up of a drone actually showing the cables, and you can actually see one of the cables slowly start to unravel. And then there's literally an explosion as one of these big cables—the thickness of your wrist. Um, these cables, and there's, there's lots of them, and they just broke, and the whole thing just collapsed in a heap in the ground, and only today there's been reports saying this is indicative of the problems of funding in science, because you might have the most fantastic instruments, but unless the maintenance and the budget is there to keep maintaining them and using them at their optimum performance, um, the result is what you've got, and this telescope i don't think it'll ever get resurrected now i think there's so much money would be needed to do it and you know what has been totally forgotten because i was fortunate to go there in 2017 one of their biggest jobs was tracking what we call near-earth objects potential asteroids that could strike the earth and that is left a void now in the observation uh, area of how we're going to track these objects because of course that telescope even if they repair it it'll be probably 10 years till they can get it back in operation Great tragedy and but fantastic footage. I, I would recommend it. Everyone to to have a look at it. It is a, a dreadful tragedy, especially for for the the scientific
1: mm, information that it. So. whose responsibility to maintain it? Would it would it not have been a corporate?
2: Um, it was, but it was uh, operated by the University of Central Florida. Um, they funded it or they gave them a lion's share of the budget. Obviously, the location was key because it was um, in the tropics there and it was in a natural resource, a natural recess in the ground where they put the dish. Um, but it was getting its funding mainly from the United States. And, of course, you've got the political situation in Puerto Rico where they want st- to be admitted as a state, but the U.S. don't want to do it because of the problems they've got of poverty. And then they had the hurricane in 2017. They've had this now. Um, it's just one disaster after the other and they were already talking about not fixing it when the cables broke originally in august and november and now i just think it's going to go to rack and ruin it is such a great shame because it's a great facility and iconic
1: exactly and you can't help but think that there will be a lot of local people who Mm. got some kind of employment either directly or indirectly from it i mean
2: it had a marvelous visitor center a marvelous visitor center with a cafe and a shop and everything else yeah and there must have been at least 30 40 people involved at least mm. not just the scientists but um the service industries alone and there would probably be
1: offshoots from that that, that would, would be linked, if not directly, indirectly, yeah, that would, would get... Absolutely. so So and a you great You know, one of the other great tragedies tragedy.
2: is, I, I've been talking about putting a solar system model on Douglas Promenade for ages, and that all got shelved when the Promenade got dug up and everything else. But it's it's on the drawing board, possibly for the future. And they had one of those, Arecibo, when you got to the car park, you, you had the sun, and then all the planets were stretched out up the track. You went up to, to the visitor centre. I wonder if we could have it from them. Mm. I don't think so.
1: Maybe not, maybe not. Now, it seems to me that people have been coming back from space with with sackfuls of of hoodies (laughs) that they've... Here's where I'm going to get told off for terminology (laughs) again.
2: Sackfuls, you've been thinking of Santa too much.
1: Well, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, so come on, what, what's, well, what's, what's, what has come back? Because there have been some uh,
2: expeditions. There have, been... have indeed. And actually, one have completely overshadowed the other, unfortunately. But the first one that came back was the Chinese Hayabusa 2 spacecraft, which landed on the asteroid, or I would say landed, it touched the surface of asteroid Raigou and brought back some samples. Now, Hayabusa 1 did the same, but when they opened the container, they had very, very little in the way of material, because it's not easy to get to an asteroid and back again. That's very, very difficult to do with some samples. This one has managed to bring back 5.4 grams of asteroid material, which we think probably predates the origin of our solar system. We're really looking at this material as very, very valuable. And, of course, this was done uh, by the Japanese about a year ago, and it's finally arrived back in the Earth uh, beginning of December. Only a month ago, the OSIRIS-REx NASA mission did exactly the same on another asteroid called Bennu, and that one's coming back. I'm not sure it's next year or the year after. And they know that one's got quite a bit of material, probably about 10 to 15 grams at least of material, which is a lot. And then, of course, the Chinese um, did something which has never been done before, and all credit to the Chinese, and it it annoys me that it's not publicized enough, never mind the political situation. Scientifically, this mission to the moon of the Changi 5 mission uh, went and landed on the moon. It landed uh, with a soft lander on the moon. It drilled into the surface. It collected two kilograms now. We're talking about grams a moment ago. We're now into kilograms, two kilograms. So that's a bag of sugar of moon rock took off from the moon, rendezvoused in orbit with another spacecraft going round the moon, brought it back to the Earth, dropped it off, and now that spacecraft's going on to do some other work um, at what we call the Lagrange Point on the uh, around the Earth. And these samples, which landed in outer Mongolia a few days ago, or weeks ago now, um, are now being analysed by the Chinese, who've already promised to give some of the samples to the international community to compare with the other moon rocks of course, NASA brought back. Amazing feat of uh, uh, discovery, amazing journey, and all credit to them for doing it absolutely because all of this is being done remotely absolutely every and, single aspect is remote and and, like clockwork everything went well, perfectly well
1: one of the things that one of the criticisms that people used to levy about space exploration was that you would see a rocket or something going off and then it but it would, it would almost have to self-destruct as part mm. of, of what it was doing but now we're getting things that are reusable oh, yeah. go on to do other things absolutely so but so it's is it possible that the research could reveal different things, that different people doing different research on Hopefully, the same yeah. samples could re- exactly. reveal different things?
2: Exactly. I mean, when NASA brought back the moon rock back in the 70s, they, they didn't analyse all of it. They didn't destruct, destroy it uh, like you have to do with lab tests. They've kept lots back for when the technology improved that they could uh, analyse them even better. And so now we've got moon rock back from uh, from the moon from about 25 or well, 50 years ago, uh, and now literally from a few days ago. And obviously with the the plans to go back to the moon, which are still um, very hopeful to go on with, I'm sure they still will go, but NASA have just had a knockback. Their budget has been reduced significantly and they think the 2024 target of getting back to the moon will not be achieved unless NASA can plead with Congress to give them some more money.
1: Mm, yes, exactly.
2: it all comes down to budget, doesn't it? Yeah. Doesn't it really? Just at the moment, I think money, mind you, we seem to be money for uh, this COVID situation has made money... One minute we're in, in um, poverty, weren't we, and uh, austerity measures, and now we're finding all this money for everything else, and I just wonder where it's all coming from. Well, I'm glad l- I'm not a politician. Let's
1: <laughs> stick to the things that
2: we know about. I think shall
1: so. we have now? SpaceX.
2: Oh wow! Yes, what a story this one was. They've launched their new um, spaceship, Starship One. Sorry, it's not called Starship One. It's a prototype of the Starship One. Uh, this was SN8, Starship Number 8. And this one went on a test launch only a few weeks ago. And I think it was all over the news. It really was a spectacular event. Unfortunately, the media loved it for what happened at the end of it. But the reality was this was a test launch which 99% of it was 100%. 99% was 100% successful. You know what I mean. Um, <laughs> Most of it was well, successful. Fortunately, at the very end, it didn't land as well as it could have done and it blew up. It actually undertook an RUD. An RUD? An no, RUD. I, I give up Howard. What's Spacecraft an RUD? Spacecraft don't blow up. They RUD. What's that? A rapid, unscheduled disassembly. <laughs> That's what Elon Musk calls it. Unfortunately, our spaceship underwent an IUD.
1: Right. So, if anything breaks, anything at all breaks now, it isn't. you don't say such and such a thing broke. Nope, it's IUD. It was a rapid, unscheduled disassembly. I love it.
2: This love is it. basics for you. But going back to the actual mission, what they did with this rocket, they launched it, and instead of coming back with heat shields and all the rest, it didn't go as far up as as it was necessary because they couldn't at that point they took it as far up as they could it then literally they switched the fuel off and it fell back to earth it fell back to earth just like um, a leaf falling from a tree but from very very high up and then when it got to a certain point they fired the rocket engine to tilt it back into an upright position and landed it Fortunately, the oxygen pressure was too low on one of the tanks and it hit the ground a bit too hard and blew up, uh, or RUD, as I say. But it was an amazing feat of technology, and uh, it's just, it's the way forward. Um, this will reduce the cost of going into space. This will make access to space easier. And it really was a spectacular mission. Sadly, headline for the wrong reasons. Mm. Um, they've now got SN9 on the pad and they're going to launch that quite soon. Hopefully that one will land successfully. Yeah. But it's progress. It's, uh, it's technology. And you've got to test these things before you can uh, achieve what you want. Now, SpaceX are landing boosters uh, every time they launch a rocket project. They've done it about 80 times now. They've landed the first stage of one of their rockets, which NASA have never done. So it just shows what's going on. Well, the, the important thing is when you explain it like that, Howard, you can see that, that
1: really this, the, unf- the unfortunate bit at the end was actually part of the test. Yeah, it was. Wasn't it? Okay, they Very would have preferred so. it if it hadn't happened. But the important part, the, gra-
2: the groundbreaking technology Absolutely. all worked. The fall, the aerofoils to guide it when it was falling, and then the tilt back up to vertical. Mm. And then okay, they lit the engine again, they'd saved some fuel. They lit the engine again, but just at the last minute it was a bit too fast and hit the ground and blew up. Mm. But, oh, you did, sorry. Not but, blew up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll soon get the new we'll soon so get a new terminology. New technology.
1: Now, unfortunately, Howard, we are almost almost out of time, but we need to talk about some events that are coming up very soon. Oh yes, indeed. Don't we? Yes. Um so something to do with the railways coming yes, up um, this, this weekend.
2: This Saturday and um, the Alamance Astronomical Society are doing a train trip to Castletown it's called the Starlight Express what a wonderful name for a star train trip and if it's clear we'll be stargazing from um, Paulson Park one of the island's dark sky sites if it's cloudy we'll come back to Douglas and I'll give them a talk about what's visible in the night sky for the next 12 months and astronomy from the island in general in the ticket hall that's this Saturday the 2nd of January and then the following Friday I'm doing one of my series of stargazing lectures with Manx National Heritage down at the Sound and this one is at the Sound on the Friday the 8th of January and uh, I am not sure how the ticket sales are going for both of them. Uh, If you're interested at all you need to get in touch with other railways or Manx National Heritage. I'm also going to be doing some more talks at the end of February and the Astronomical Society will be announcing shortly some further visits, some open nights to the observatory which have been absolutely amazing how well they've been so we're hoping to do one more in February, one more in March but please don't get in touch with me yet we'll be announcing the dates for those very shortly um, and obviously we'll, they'll be going on, on sale through Eventbrite
1: Howard we've been beaten by the clock, once again <laughs> we have, but good because there is always so much to talk about, Howard thank you very much indeed, indeed for pleasure. joining us and Howard will be back in the studio on the final Sunday of January Howard Parkin, thank you very much indeed for thank joining you, us you good
2: night
0: Station, Manx Radio.